right, everybody. Good morning. So good to see you guys today. I am David, uh, and uh, whether you are here in the room or you're joining us online, I want to welcome you, and I want to uh, welcome you to our third week of our series, People Over Politics. People Over Politics. Do you guys realize that as of today, as of this morning, we are nine days away from the election? It is upon us, people. Uh, and that means that in 10 days from now, we will actually know who the next president of the United States of America is going to be, barring any crazy whatever. Um, but uh, this is a good point to be at because that means that the finish line is in sight. The end of the political crazies of an election cycle in October is, is almost over. We can, we can see it. It's almost here. And it means that in 10 days, you guys will have no more political commercials running on your televisions. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? I won't have to hear about Shri Kulkarni or Troy Nelms anymore. Lord have mercy, right? Um, it means in 10 days, uh, we, we are not going to have to be seeing as much stuff in news cycles or in social media where people are um, really getting upset and having massive, not happy disagreements on politics. Instead, we'll see pictures of people's dinners in 10 days, right? More of those. Would love to see that. I am interested in what you're having for dinner, by the way, every once in a while. Not really, but it's better than politics. Uh, in 10 days, uh, in 10 days, what that also means is that... Um, Every American's going to accept the new president, and we're all going to start being kind and nice and friendly to one another, right? I love that there's laughter as I begin to say that because we just know how not true that is, right? Um, we just know that that's probably not what's going to happen. Anybody see the first um, debate, first political debate? Yes, I'm not talking about the one that happened this week. Um, some of us probably watched that, but the ratings on the one this week was actually way down. And I think it was probably because people saw the first debate and then they opted out of the second one. Because if you haven't heard, I think most of us have, but the first debate was horrible. It was actually an absolute um, dumpster fire. That is a dumpster floating away on fire. And that's, if you watch the first debate, that's exactly what you saw. That's what happened. Um, it, was, it was terrible. And at the end of it, I remember uh, just sitting here thinking in my chair, watching that like a little bit in shock. I was like, was that as bad as I thought it was? Like, did, did other people pick it up? So I went online and I just tried to get some immediate feedback from uh, kind of news anchors and political commentators. I just wanted to share with you guys some of the ones that I, that I found that night. This was uh, ABC's George Stephanopoulos. You guys know who that is? incredible last name that we all know how to pronounce because we hear it said, right? I got it right, George Stephanopoulos. This is what he said about the debate. That was the worst presidential debate I've ever seen, right? Um, and he looked very serious about it when he said it. Uh, NBC's Andrea Mitchell, there's another face that we recognize, uh, did a little research. She's been covering debates since 1976. She's been covering presidential debates. So um, actually, that just to give you a reference point, that's before I was born. She's been watching these things. And uh, she has definitely then, uh, in 44 years, seen the good and the bad and the political ugly, which is ugly, right? This is, was her comment about the debate. 
I've never seen anything like this. Never 44 years seen anything like this. Here um, is another face that you might recognize. Geraldo Rivera, right? You guys know him? Uh, had, a, had a television show at one point. Um, I think is now a Fox News commentator. And um, whatever you think of the man, you've got to respect the mustache on Geraldo Rivera. Here is what, uh, here's what Geraldo said. Let me defend Chris Wallace. He was the moderator of the first um, debate. He said, I mean, my goodness, the guy signed up to moderate a debate and he ended up trying to referee a knife fight, right? And that's what happened. That's what we saw. It was, it was, un, it was, it was just unprecedented. And, um, and it, it, was, it, it was not a proud moment for America. It was, it was a cringeworthy moment. And I think the reaction that many of us had when we saw that debate is like we wanted to just like look at those politicians and point our fingers and say, shame on you. Like, how dare you do this? I mean, after that happened, I'll be honest, that was my response. Shame on you. How do I get a mail-in ballot so I can write in Jesus right now? Like, that's what I wanted to do. But I sat there that night and I, I sat there and tried to reflect and, and just think about what I saw and what I'm seeing and what's happened. And I, and I think another more important thought came to mind. Another more important for me realization came to mind that I, that I want to offer you, that I want you to consider as well. Um, what if the debate that we saw that night was a symptom rather than a cause? What if it wasn't the problem but a result of a, a bigger, deeper problem? What if... Um, we have in our social collective actions and behaviors and what we've allowed and what we've done and what we've, we've continued to do actually kind of set the stage for what happened that night in the first debate. Um, I think that debate might have been Trump and Biden up there, but actually my, my kind of belief about what's happened is Trump and Biden are actually a reflection of what's happening in greater general society between me and you and the mentality of us and them. And it, it, it's a commentary on the state of where we are as a, as a public in our own social discourse and behavior. And, um, and I think what's happened is because we have let this discourse descend so low and we have uh, allowed things to get to this point through our own collective behavior, through our own unwillingness to do the hard work of listening and try to understand each other, through our own unwillingness to even engage in tough conversations, we've created what we got. And so I don't think that that debate was an outlier of dysfunctional nonsense in an otherwise civil society. I honestly think it was the next logical step in a post-truth, post-civility, post-integrity America. And that's, that's where I'm at. And um, I don't think anything's going to change after November 3rd. I don't think the election's going to change it. I think we're going to continue heading in that direction. Unless people like you and me, individuals, uh, start to decide we're going to do something better start to say we're going we're gonna to try to engage in this in a different way, start to say I'm going to try to do better in my own sphere of influence, starting with me, okay? And um, week one of this series, 
I kind of leaned into this bit of kind of just conventional wisdom that we've all heard, right? There's two things that you don't talk about, right? Religion and politics. Don't talk about religion and politics in polite company. And I joked that here in polite company in church, we were talking about politics. We've jammed in together, right? Uh, well, I, I want to revisit that because I, I thought about that statement. And I, I actually wonder if that conventional wisdom hasn't been part of the problem of what's gotten us here. Um, I think that there is wisdom in, in being thoughtful about who and where we have those conversations. But I also think that what's happened is maybe we've avoided talking about these things so much that we've never learned how to talk about them. Maybe, maybe these things that are so essential to who we are, we, we, have, we have not engaged uh, each other in, in trying to create mutual understanding and, and learn how to talk about hard things even when we disagree. I think we don't have any muscle. I don't, I don't think we have experience. I don't think we've learned how to do this. And so I would say instead of not talking about politics and religion, let's learn how to talk with people when we disagree. I think that's what we've got to aim for. And, and, and we've got to learn to have better conversations about hard things, okay? Um, I, I, I want to also tell you, um, as we're here in church, <laughs> the God who told us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us has a lot of really important things to say on this very topic that I think are extremely good and helpful and get, get to the heart and mind. And what I want to do this morning is, uh, you know, there's so much more wisdom than we have time to get into, but I want to pull out some pieces, some scriptures that I think will be really helpful right now, and, um, and, and we need to hear, and I, and I want to give you handles. I want you to have better experiences. I want you to engage in these conversations in good ways that, that are helpful, and I really don't want you to have a bad experience. So here's the title of today's message. How to not have your political conversations turn into a dumpster fire. Okay, does that sound like a, a worthy, lofty goal for anybody? Best sermon title I've ever had. Um, I'd, I'm just going to give myself a pat on the back. I like it. I'm aiming for that today. Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll ask God to help us do that. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much for, um, for this day and this morning and this, this time that we have to reflect, to think higher, to, um, to, to look to you, to look around us in this world and say, help, Lord. And then I thank you that you help us look to our hearts, look to our minds, look to our behaviors, and you, you correct us, Lord. You rebuke us. You reproof us. As it says in your word, would, would you use this time in your word to edify us, to help us see and understand things, to help us step into to these spaces in ways that make a difference uh, Lord, at, at least at the very least in our spheres of influence. Um, Lord, would you, would you be with us here this morning? Would you soften our hearts and minds? Uh, may the words of my mouth and every meditation in a heart before you, Lord, be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, we pray you are a rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So uh, about a month ago, I had um, a person approach me and, uh, and come up and say, hey, David, you're a preacher. Hey, David, you're a preacher. And I, I want to just tell you, over the years, I've heard that multiple times. David, you're a preacher, you're a pastor. And I really have learned that I have no idea what's about to come after that phrase. <laughs> hey, David, you're a preacher. 
And sometimes people need to talk about something, confess something. They have something on their heart and they really need to get it off their heart. Sometimes people say, hey, David, you're a preacher and they want to express their frustrations to me about something. It's fine. It's time to listen. Sometimes people say, hey, David, you're, you're a preacher, right? And they're like, they're like, this dude's a preacher, right? The even good or bad, it's gone both ways, actually, in my experience. This person said, David, you're a preacher. And they kind of paused and kind of trailed off a little bit. And I was like, yeah, I am a preacher. And I said, what's up? He said, well, um, David, uh, you're a preacher. And I, um, I've heard you talk. Uh, a number of times. I appreciate your Christian perspective. And I actually want to get your Christian perspective, your understanding of things, a lot of things that are happening in our world today politically. And he wanted to have a conversation about politics. And I was like, okay, let's talk. And really for the next, um, I, it was a long conversation, over an hour, we talked about all, all these different kinds of things that were running through his mind uh, regarding uh, issues that were coming up. Um, everything from like uh, my understanding of politics and political parties to uh, discussion of racial tensions in America today to uh, consideration of how Christianity bears on the economy to uh, how my faith makes me think about issues of sexuality, all of it. We talked about so many different things and, um, and it, was, it was really good. And in the midst of that conversation, two things I walked away with. One, that guy really needed to talk. He had a lot of things on his mind. He really needed somebody to be a, a partner in conversation that he could, he could think with, he could push back on, and that we could, we could engage and work through some things. But here's the other thing that, that I think actually is a little bit more important for the first point I want to make. This guy also needed to know that I was safe. He wanted to know that in this conversation that he needed to have, that I was going to be safe and that he was going to be safe and that this was going to be a conversation and not a conflict. And um, I want to offer you guys that as the first piece of wisdom that um, I, I think is important. When talking politics, people need to feel safe. When we're having these conversations, we need to be creating safe environments. And it's because if people don't feel safe in these conversations, they're just not going to engage. If you feel, uh, you have a sense that you're going to be judged or talked over or shut down or not respected or not listened to, people just, you're just not going to engage. People just won't walk into that space with you. And, and I just think that's, that's the reality here that we've got to recognize. And I will say, there is a small part of our population uh, of folks who um, really enjoy debate. Like it, it is their thing. They love to have these conversations. They love to get into it with other people. And it's just part of the way that, that they're wired. And a lot of times these folks uh, uh, can be a little strong. And what I want to say is if that's you, you know who you are. And, um, and, and what I also want to say, if that's you, we also know who you are. And, um, and we love you, and we understand that about you, but I, I think that all that, that's just so important uh, is that people need to feel safe when they walk into that, that space. If you have a strong conviction about something that's good, people have deep beliefs about something that's good, but, but we need to be able to talk about those things in ways 
that make us feel safe. And um, you know what's really interesting here is if you actually were to open up the Bible and, uh, and study what the scripture says about our words. Like if you were, I'd encourage you to do this. Google scriptures about how we talk to one another, scriptures about what we say, scriptures about um, uh, speaking. Uh, You're going to come up with 30, 40, 50 scriptures and you read those. If you follow what they actually say, if you do what it says, I think what you're going to find is that's going to create a safe environment. It's going to create a safe environment. And, and you and I know, we, we may not say it, but we've got to feel safe to do this. Just, just back to that conversation I had with that guy, I actually realized in reflection that I needed to feel safe in that conversation with him as well. I don't know that I made that choice in my mind, but it was a decision subconsciously that I made because I need to know that he's not going to do something to me in that conversation. I'll be honest, as a pastor uh, who who knows that a little bit of my life is very public, um, actually a lot of my life is very public, uh, I I have a fear that at some point somebody is going to take something I said out of context and backstab me with it. And I know I don't have that fear alone. I know some of you guys do. I know some of us have experienced that. And, and I, I think it just speaks to the need to create safe environments. And I'm telling you, this is actually what the Bible is aiming for. I encourage you to look them up yourself, some of these verses, and think about that. But I, I want to offer you two that I think are, are really important. Um, here is the first directive along those lines that I'd give you. It's, it's be gentle. The Bible actually talks, talks to us about gentleness in our conversations. And this one comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, kind of the clearest statement on it. Let your gentleness be evident to all. This is actually from the passage on anxiety that we studied last year. Don't be anxious about anything. Political conversations make you anxious, right? Yeah? Let your gentleness in, in those kind of conversations be evident to all. I really like that verse. <clears throat> Uh, I think it's so simple and so clear and so good. And and I want to point out to you, um, it's not a suggestion that Paul's making. It's it's a biblical directive. Be gentle. Let the way that you are be gentle so that everybody knows that about you, that the way that they look at you, they can say, um, I know that person and they may have some strong opinions about those things, but they're actually still gentle and kind and good in the way that, that they communicate and when you engage them. And actually, really interesting thing in the Greek, that word that's translated gentleness um, also uh, can be translated, <clears throat> also can be translated moderate, moderate. So it's not just gentle, it's like, it's that you've got some moderation in the way that you engage and talk to one another. So gentle is like, I've got a, a delicate baby bird in my hand, right? And I can hold it and I'm not going to hurt it, right? Moderate means I have two hands and I hold my position in one. And then I actually hold the other position in the other. I can see it. I understand it. I know what, what, what's going on with it. And I may not agree with it, but I'm fair, I'm gentle with it. Like, and, and both of those things come together to say, that's what you're trying to do and aim for in the way that, that you are and the way that you engage these things and that it's evident to everyone. Um, I, I just want to say, some of us here this morning may need to hear that. Am I gentle? Am I moderate in the way that I, that I engage in political issues? Am I fair? 
right? Um, here's, here's the next uh, directive I'd offer you. Speak to someone else how you would want to be spoken to. Speak to others as you would have them speak to you. Does that sound familiar to anybody, right? What's that sound like? Golden rule, right? And it is. It comes, uh, Matthew seven twelve. and everything, everything you do then, do to others as you would have them do to you. Everything includes the way we speak, does it not? Everything includes the way that we engage people in dialogue with people, does it not? So this is a direct application of, of that verse. Speak to others as you want to be spoken to. And I want to tell you, actually, I think it's easier to see this in the negative form because so often we're not speaking to others how we want to be spoken to. And so I, I actually want to, I want to offer some thoughts here and, um, and, and I'll just run through them. You want people to respect your opinion, then, then, then you need to have respect for theirs, right? You, you want people to be fair with your understanding, you need to be fair with their understanding. I'm going to get real here. If you think it's unfair to say that anyone who votes for Trump is a racist, and it is unfair, then don't make the equally ridiculous claim and say anybody who votes for Biden is an abortion-supporting socialist. It is not fair. It, 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 it's, not, it's not true, okay? Don't say to other people what you don't want said to you, okay? Um, you want people to listen to you, to hear your perspective, then you better work really hard to listen to them and to hear what they are saying, okay? Um, uh, there's a verse here that comes to mind, James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, it says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's a, it's a verse you've probably heard before if you've been in the church. It is oft-repeated because it's not oft-remembered. We need to do this. We need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, especially when we're engaging in these hard conversations. Uh, it's been pointed out often that we have one mouth and two ears, right? And that's a directive that we listen twice for every one time we speak. So put, put that into application. Uh, for every two things that you hear, two points that somebody else makes, then you get to speak one time, right? That would actually really help some of these Con conversations. Um, uh, I, I, I think that's really important. Here's another one. You want somebody else to admit the flaw and the failure in their, in their perspective and their political party or candidate. Well, then you better also be willing to admit the flaw or failure in your own political party and your own candidate. Let's not support uh, things that we know have weakness. Let's not try to defend what's indefensible. Let me tell you, there are people today on both sides of the political aisle defending political parties and political candidates that are really not worth defending all that much, that are flawed, that are failed. And the more that we're willing to say, you're right, there is a problem here. You're right, there is a problem with this thought and the way this comes down, the more likely somebody on the other side is to say, yeah, you're right about my side and this perspective too. Creates mutual understanding uh, and, and let me just say one more thing. Finally, if you've heard what I've said right here and you thought to yourself, oh, I, I so hope uh, so-and-so listens to what Pastor David is saying right now, you better be listening too. Okay? Okay. Here's the next, um, here's the next thought. Before you speak, check your emotions. Okay? 
before you speak, check your emotional state. Where's, where's your pulse? Where's your heart? During a conversation, check your emotional state. It's not always the same at the beginning, in the middle, or the end of those conversations, depending where they go. If you step back and you actually look at what's happening today um, in the way that people are responding, I bet that you'd see a lot of emotions coming out in, in how people are communicating. I think a lot of the ways that we're responding to things is actually um, emotionally dr- driven. And I want to tell you, I've been there. I've done that. And I, I do want to say emotions are not bad in the way that we respond. In fact, in thoughtful, well-considered arguments or, or ideas, um, emotions actually are very valid and relevant and ought to be included. Let me point out that one of the most important times that uh, uh, was ever spoke in our history, when Martin Luther King talked about his dream, it was a passionate, emotional speech that made a huge difference in our country. Emotions aren't bad. But what I, what I think we need to recognize is that day then is different than this day now. And, and there are things happening uh, that, that make our emotions have the possibility of riding a wave of momentum that hasn't really existed before. There are so many things moving us to respond and to respond immediately and to respond emotionally. We have a 24 hours news cycle that you can't get away from that is driven in sensational headlines. We have social media algorithms that are designed to drop your jaw and then to get you to say something in response. That's the goal of what they do is engagement. And so... Um, we feel this unique pressure today to respond. You, you read something, um, you hear something, and, and it's sensational. It's a news headline, right? Maybe you're surprised, maybe you're frustrated, maybe you're angered, maybe you're outraged, and you, and you have this question. That, I think we have this question that maybe wasn't asked decades before. Do I respond to this? Should I respond to this? Do I need to say something? And... Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting that we have an expectation that people are going to say something. We have a public expectation that groups should say something that have never, ever said anything before, right? It's kind of incredible to me. Uh, we expect for Walmart and Warner Brothers to, to make comments on women's issues right now. It's never been like that before in our country. And it just speaks to the fact of where, of where we're at in this moment and how important it is to check our emotional pulse when, when, we are, when we're thinking about these things, when we're engaging in these things. We need wisdom today more than we have before. And what I will, what I will tell you is something that wisdom has said for a very long time. When your emotions are, are triggered you're not going to respond very well, okay? It's just, it's just not going to happen. You lose perspective, you lose prudence, and in most of the responses that you're going to give, it just ain't going to end up in a great place. And I think a lot of us know that through experience. So I have a guideline that actually was handed down to me by a, a really sage, wise pastor for whom I have so much respect. And I haven't always lived into it, but I'll tell you what, I, I have it at the forefront of my mind um, when I see something, when I consider something, when I'm wrestling with something, when I feel this pressure to respond, and especially when I, when I realize I might be emotionally 
uh, affected by something, it's this, it's simple. Wait 24 hours. Don't say anything for a whole day. And then sleep on it, pray about it, think about it, and at the end of those 24 hours, decide, do I respond to this? How do I respond to this? And I think you'll find that you'll, you'll do a lot, you'll do a lot better. Um, uh, I want to actually also say, I think that that's a biblically inspired bit of advice. It's a practical application of things the Bible actually, actually encourages in. Let me offer you two scriptures. Here's the first. Ephesians 4.26 says this, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Such a short verse, but, but there's some assumptions in it that are really important. In your anger, so anger is what? An emotional response. It's an emotion that we have. It's a, it's a feeling that rises up in us, right? And what the Bible is saying is don't sin when that happens. So what's assumed there is actually you can have an emotion of anger, and it's not sin. You can have an emotional response, and that's fine. It, it actually might be good. It actually might be very appropriate for what happened, right? What the Bible is saying is when you have that emotional response— don't let it take you to a place that's not good. Don't let it take you to a place where you're doing something that you ought not to, where you miss God's mark. In your anger, do not sin. Here's another verse that I, I have actually found uh, very helpful and good. It's in the Proverbs. I kind of love it. It says this, fools show their annoyance at once, immediately, but the prudent overlook an insult. I'm sure many of us have been in a in a conversation where we disagreed with somebody, um, where there was this point at which we felt the other person crossed the line, right? Where they said something that they shouldn't, where they did something that they shouldn't, and we didn't like it, and it probably hurt. And, um, and, and it, it, the, the, there was actually a moment there, whether we realized it or not, that we had a choice about what we were going to do next. We may not always think we have a choice, but we do always have a choice. And, and what you can do is immediately cross that line back over against them. You can insult for insult. You can get defensive. You can shut down. But uh, this verse actually gives some really, I think, very wise advice. Um, fools, it says, do what when they're insulted, when they're annoyed? They immediately show it. They immediately respond, right? What, is, what does wisdom do? It says it overlooks the prudent overlook an insult. So, so I don't know, a couple of weeks ago I talked about forgiveness is forbearance, right? Sometimes we just have to say, I'm going to love you even though you just said what you said, right? I'm going to hang in there on this conversation even though you crossed the line. I, I'm going to move this in a positive direction even though I'm not feeling that reciprocated right now. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook and insult. Actually, I wonder if some of us would take that to heart and um, and try to apply that. I think a lot of these conversations could go a lot better if every time we felt offended or annoyed, we chose not to respond to it, but to continue to engage. Is that you? Is that a way that you can have these conversations better? Um, okay, third idea. Debate an idea. Cherish a person. When you speak about tough things, debate the idea, cherish the person that you're talking to. Um, I want to break this down. 
I, I can't tell you, like I said at the beginning, I think it's so important for us to debate ideas. I think this is what we're not doing. I think we're not actually talking about issues. I think we need to talk about issues. I think we need to have some safe places where we do some of the back and forth with people and these complex, tough issues that exist. Because that's actually where progress gets made. You probably won't understand the other perspective until you engage somebody who holds it. And, and, and we, we work out these ideas as we do that back and forth, as you are in a place where you feel heard and you're hearing the other person. That's how progress gets made. It's where you understand the complexity and the nuance. And, and, and you might see that actually, oh, this is a tension to be managed, which is honestly where I think a lot of our political issues would actually better be solved. Or we might actually see, oh, I didn't understand that, or they didn't understand that. And we bear out the truth. We realize that there, is, that, that there is a clarity about what needs to happen or what's going on on an issue, okay? Um, but uh, that's not happening. And, and I, I want to tell you, I actually think if we were to follow Jesus in this, we would probably, some of us, do it more than, than, we, than we are apt to do it right now. Because Jesus, if you open up the Gospels and looked at what he actually did, Jesus was regularly debating ideas. He was, he was challenged all the time. And Jesus never, I, uh, he rarely, um, I haven't time to look at all the verses, but I, I want to say if, if he, he may not have ever done it, but if he did, it was rare that he didn't step up to a challenge on an idea. When, um, when people had bad ideas, he exposed them. When people challenged him on something he was saying, he went toe-to-toe with them. Uh, and you would probably be surprised to see that at times Jesus called out the wrong ideas with straightforwardness and clarity that, um, that probably would make some of us uncomfortable. There's, a, there's an instance where there's this group called the Pharisees who don't believe in the resurrection, uh, challenge Jesus and make up this ridiculous story about, uh, that they think they're going to fool him with. And at the end of it, Jesus says, you are wrong because you don't know the Bible or believe in the power of God. <laughs> that is a strong, strong statement. But when you look at Jesus, uh, he took on the Pharisees, he took on the Sadducees, he invited both to be part of his kingdom. Um, he, he never lost sight of the people, and, and he always debated the idea. And, and, and this is the other side of this that we have to balance. It's, it's an idea that we're talking about. It's people who, who, who we're in relationship with, and we've got to cherish and love. And, and, um, and so I want to just offer you one other scripture that I think is, is at least been really helpful to me. 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 24, which says this, um, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone. Okay? So... Paul speaking to Timothy, he's leading this young man in how to lead the church. And he's saying, don't be involved in stupid and foolish quarrels. There's some assumptions there I want to point out. If there are stupid and foolish quarrels, it means that there are other types of quarrels, right? He's added a qualifier. There are some quarrels that are quarrels and some quarrels that are stupid and foolish, right? And he's saying, uh, he's actually not saying, don't get involved in, in those arguments. Don't get involved in the things where people disagree. He's actually not said you can't do that at all. In fact, earlier in the passage, he says, correct those people when they're wrong, 
right? What, what, he, what he's saying is there is a point at which some arguments become foolish and stupid and actually knowing the difference is really, really critical. Do you know the difference between an argument and a stupid and foolish argument? Uh, you should. That's going to matter a lot in the way that you engage in these conversations. Paul actually gives us an indicator of when it actually crosses the line. And I, I was using the wrong word. He says argument. Actually, it's when he says they produce quarrels. The quarrel is the indicator. And if you study that word in the Greek, it's not just a disagreement. It's actually a fight. It's strife. It's enmity. It's where I look at another person and I suddenly am angry with them. It's when it crosses the line from an idea into a personal attack against somebody and it's nasty. And when you step back and you think about the debates and the state of our politics in our nation today, isn't this exactly what is so detestable to us? that, that it, it moves from ideas into personal attacks. Think about those debates that you watched, if you watched them. Was there more time given to a candidate putting forth an idea and defending that idea and casting a vision from that idea? Or did the candidate spend more time knocking the competency and the character of the other candidate? Right? What's happened, actually, is we've reversed and twisted the, the debate an idea, cherish a person. We've actually defended an idea by attacking the other person. And this is why the state of our politics is so bad. And you know what Paul says at the beginning of this passage? Don't do it. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments that produce quarrels. Right? You're the Lord's servant, and you must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone Y'all, we choose to not go that route. We choose to cherish the person and debate the politic. We we have to hold that balance. We we can't let it go. And um, I just just want to, to say probably the better word is actually love the person. But I didn't use that word because I don't think we live in a culture that really understands what that word means, certainly not biblical love, which is, which is a choice, um, and, it, it, and it, it is not have any conditions. When we say love today, what we mean when we're like, love me, have love for a person, is I will love you until you disagree with me. We mean I will love you until you offend me. I will love you until you don't support my cause anymore. That is not biblical love. That's not how we cherish people. That's not the balance that we have to hold. What we have to do is have love that has no conditions, that always trusts, always hopes, always sees the best, always perseveres, love that bears all. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13 when it talks about love. And that's the posture that we have to have towards people when we're putting people over politics. I want to just say to you, um, don't win an argument and lose a friendship. It's, it's, not, it's not worth it. Don't get into it with that family, family member at the cost of making every Christmas thereafter super, super awkward. Okay? I think what, I think what Jesus is, is done and who he is, and I think what the scriptures do and what they point us to is to say you need to choose the people over the politic. You, you need to choose love. And, and I just, I just want to point out that this is actually what Jesus did with us. When, when we uh, were lost in our sins and trespasses, when we were offended, Jesus didn't cancel us. He stepped over those things. 
He overlooked those things so that he could choose to be in relationship with with us. And when you have that person that you're looking at on the other side of an issue, I, I want you to ask yourself this question. And you might know exactly who this is. You might know this exact situation. Uh, do I want to be right or do I want to be in a relationship? And I, I want to tell you, I think Jesus chose relationship. And I think you should choose relationship every time too. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for <clears throat> the opportunity that we have to think and to hold up tough things before you. I pray that where you've challenged us, we'd have a willingness to think about those things and let your Holy Spirit speak and go to work. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't shy away from talking about tough things, but learn how to do it well. <clears throat> I, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would um, give us this mind to, to love people, to cherish them, no matter where they are and who they are, um, even as we deeply hold our convictions. Jesus, um, have mercy on us. Help us to follow you so that, Lord, we can lead others to the greater hope that we have in you. And so that, Jesus, maybe one relationship at a time, here we can change the world. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to just close today by saying if you're online, joining us if you're here in the room and you have never made a decision to, to follow and trust the Jesus who gave his life for you, who died on the cross for your sins, who always put you in front of um, the, the things that had separated us from you, from him, Lord, I, I, I just pray and, and ask and say, you can make that decision today and say, you can lean into a greater hope. And if you do that, if you want to make that decision, please text the word follow to the number on your screen. We want to help you do that. We want to, we want to help you follow Jesus and know the hope that we have that is so much more hopeful than what's going to happen in 10 days from now. And I pray those, and I, I pray that you would make that choice. Guys, we're going to sing one more song. Please stand, and then uh, we'll dismiss.